Welcome to the Emo Social Club podcast broadcasting to you live from EmoSocialClub.tv. I am Brian. And I'm Lizzie. This is the Emo podcast. Emotional, emotional Social Club podcast. podcast. Uh, As it be. Emotional so- Sociology podcast. Uh, yeah. This episode is with Troy Campbell, a behavioral scientist, general emo fan lover of, of the emo music enthusiast enthusiast uh and it's a it's it's a scientific conversation not really it, we get we, we get a little bit of why like your little emo brain likes yeah. being sad and emo stuff and we keep going back to it yeah we talk a lot about the culture we talk a lot about uh, the music but you know it's got a little bit of that that educational bend to it so you know what instead of just spending all your time scrolling through tiktok watching a couple little uh you know, like people talking about shit as it scrolls past you. Listen to an hour-long podcast about it because it's yeah. going to be way more entertaining and it's going to be way more informational. So that's what we did here. That's what we do here. The- if this persuades you anymore, too, uh, he used to be a Disney Imagineer. Yeah. So, you know, get your Diz on. Get your Disney adult on. Not not that much, though. Like, psychic reasons. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Marvel. That was fun. So. You Disney know. adult Brian. Nope. Different. His arc is upcoming. Marvel adult is way different than Disney adult, but they are, are in they the, same the same place. Yeah. They're in the same building. They're, they're in just the same... in different rooms. <laughs> they're not that far from each other, though. They're right down the hall. Before we get into that episode, though, uh, let's go ahead and give us five stars on the podcasting app of your choice. Spotify, Apple Music wherever you have to just drop a five-star rating out there for us it'd be really nice you can also put down a review too along with your five-star rating over on apple music too yeah if you're ever so kind it'd be really sick actually it'd be really nice if you are also very nice you should come and join us on any of our social medias for example emo social club on instagram at x emo social club x on twitter and tiktok uh you can go to our youtube page at emo social club we're posting a lot of content we got content coming content's incoming everyone yeah guys. it's like gonna be the content choo-choo train yeah choo-choo this way for content so make sure to subscribe like comment on all of those everywhere you can hey we hope that whenever you came out to literally anything that we were doing this weekend you had a good time yeah we had a great time. We're predicting. Thanks for being there. We're manifesting. This is us promoting that we are crystals. doing things. They just happened in the past. Yeah. So. You should have just been there. But yeah. for next time, you should be there. Yeah. That's why you follow us on social media. So you find out about them. Yeah. That's how you know. Uh, anyway, there's no ado to further. So let's just go ahead. Kick it off. Kick it. Kick it into gear. Uh, this is our interview with. Troy Campbell. Welcome to the Emo Social Club podcast, broadcasting to you live from EmoSocialClub.tv. I am Brian. And I'm Lizzie, and we're here this evening with Dr. Troy Campbell, but he does only like to go by Troy. 
you know, ever so humble with the PhD status. We love to see it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming out to hang out with us today on the podcast. Thanks. I'm very excited. As I told you before, um, uh, all this emo stuff was coming back out and I was looking for people that sort of actually felt and enjoyed the music. And I just couldn't find that anywhere. And eventually I came across all y'all and it was I think a lot more fruitful to hear your conversation than somebody be like, the new Paramore album is a seven or an eight. Mm. That's fair. We don't have, we have our opinions. I don't know if they're good. <laughs> I don't know if like, like I stand by them, but I also, uh, I think we have a very like strong belief system in not yucking anyone's yum. So like if somebody believes like, I love this and I would have to put a number to it. It's like, yeah, it's fine if it's not our thing or, or vice versa. but. I don't know. Maybe we maybe we were maybe we're too nice, but we like a lot of stuff. So we just end up being like, yeah, we're just going to say we like it. We don't need to put like a, a seven or, or anything on it. You know, that's high awesome. praise, too, for when it's coming from Pitchfork. But uh, let's not try to have you put a number of your on yourself, Troy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and <laughs> your uh, background? Yeah, so I'm a behavioral science Ph.D. and. The two things that I study that's really relevant to here is social psychology, so how people come together, fandoms, and then most specifically emotions, the emotions of threat, the emotions of excitement, the emotions of desensitization. And um, if you're familiar with the psychologist Adam Grant, he talks quite a bit about some of my research and stuff like that. And uh, I so research emotion and then apply it in the classroom. I was a marketing professor for a long time Eventually, I'll probably go back to academia. Um, and But in the professional sense, I use this sort of knowledge of emotion and social connection to apply it to spaces like Netflix or Disney. And their emotion is really, really important uh, because somebody logs on at 10 p.m. At, Net at Netflix, what are they feeling? This, they're feeling choice overloaded and they're feeling they want something comforting. How do we figure that out? And Disney, when they come off of Space Mountain, what are they really feeling or we worked a lot with Nike after the pandemic with really their employees you know what were they feeling well they were the just do it company that no longer felt like just doing it because they had been isolated for so long and I love emo because emo is emotion and it is so blunt for the most part it is good but it is usually not subtle it's just like I like this girl a lot <laughs> She does not like me, right? <laughs> I'm just a kid and life is a nightmare. <laughs> and like, and uh, obviously some of the things are more subtle, like a Bright Eyes album or something like that. Um, but the emotion is really clear. And as a scientist, I love that, right? Um, we're really blunt. So I have this project about how people deny problems when they feel threatened by the solution. So what did we call that? Did we give it a cool metaphor? No, we called it solution aversion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and that is uh, a lot of what we do. And so I really, really enjoy that part um, about emo. It is just, here's an emotion and it helps us. It's that. And when you're teaching in the classroom, you can have kids share emo lyrics with kids or you can have kids write their own lyrics. And emo is back in lots of ways from, you know, uh, Uzi Vert and David and stuff like that, right? And um, and then when you yourself are just an individual personally and you're like, what am I feeling? Okay, this emo song is what I'm feeling. All right, here's the emotion. 
name it, claim it, tame it, or this is the emotion and it's really positive, name it, claim it, exclaim it. That's a lot. <laughs> um, when you think about the the resurgence of it, and I, I one thing that really made me curious is like how um, like bigger companies are like thinking about this too, is like now there's like this resurgence to emo bands from like a very specific time a sound from a very specific time that artists that have like started to adopt and and create music with that same sound now um what do you think the the reason is behind that like why do you think everybody is now really interested in that specific time yeah, so I think there's lots and lots of reasons. So let me give two boring reasons <laughs> and then give like the cool sure. reasons. So one boring reason is that everything is back in. So there's this term that I like using, lots of people hate it, but I find it very useful, is this term of metamodernism. Metamodernism is the idea of oscillating between extremes. And everything is in back now. And we also really are at the first moment where our relationship with the internet has finally matured such that everything is, right? So if you listen to like Korean pop, right, idol pop, it it is like using like every single genre inside of it. So all genres are back and emo <laughs> isn't as special in its return uh, as we think it is. The second thing is we're immediately in a multi-generational time, right? So when did Star Wars come back? Well, Star Wars came back when the people had grown up and then the prequels came. And then when did it come back again? When another generation had came. And so there's this time that it comes back that is just very financially makes sense. Emo people who listened to it in the late 90s, early 2000s now have enough money to go to when we were young. <laughs> and some of the kids uh, have enough money to annoy their Gen X parents who are di disappointed that Mineral is not playing there <laughs> and, um, and, and send them away. So it's very like there's a lot of financial reasons and just like basic uh, marketing 101 reasons. Um, but also... You know, we are sort of back to caring about emotions, um, just generally. Um, and I'll say actually one more boring thing is that everything is obviously a pendulum because in order to be cool, you always have to be in opposition to the trend that came before, right? You have to be <laughs> lean, twist, or resisting mm -hmm. to it. So emo, 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 Cobra Starship and Black Eyed Peas, right? <laughs> right, right? That's what happened, right? And then that, 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 that. Uh, Skrillex does songs with Justin Bieber that finally falls out. Now we need emo yeah. again, right? <laughs> and so there, there is that sort of sort of reason. Um, and but again, I think that why is emo so popular now to some degree also does come with the fact that we are a culture that cares about emotion in a way that we have never done before. Like we literally say things like cognitive bias mindfulness, psychological safety. And those phrases, like for me as a psychologist have always been part of my life. But for most of the, it's just so weird to just like wake up every day and like look through a newsfeed, even if it wasn't affected by my algorithm and just be like, that is the research that was done in the nineties. And now it is literally being said by 17 year olds who are making educational TikTok <laughs> videos for their friends, right? Um, and so it fits, it fits in there. 
Now, I then wonder, because I know growing up, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that everybody within the emo generation also kind of had this feeling or reactionary thing from their parents, where it's, when you listen to this this music, a lot of times it'd be very loud. Sometimes it would sound violent, and it obviously is very sad and angry, and it has a lot of emotion and vitriol to it. When we look at the way that parents looked at that now and saying that if you listen to it more, you're going to still be sad. You're still going to be angry rather than, you know, we can argue and say, no, we felt cathartic release from it because we were doing different things with it to process what we were going through. How does that work currently and how is it kind of broken down in a psychological aspect when you look at it in that way? Yeah, so... um. So some people dwell and some people don't dwell, right? So you can look at an emotion and you can dwell in it and then you can do something with that, right? And so I would say that your parents and my parents, when they criticized me for listening to emo all the time, I think that you and I maybe had a healthy relationship with that, but not everybody did, right? And I think that there, I think one of the criticisms that people have sort of of back then and the current generation to some degree is that there is this obsession with being incredibly broken, right? And there is, if you just lyrically listen to the music, the music is more broken, right? Uh, even like music like Willow, she seems more effed up than a person being dumped by a girl, right? And and the 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 themes are different, right? You know, all those you know super cuts on YouTube is every emo kid in the two thousands just wanted to get out of their town, right? And now it's like, oh my god, Russia's gonna bomb <laughs> us. Oh my god, there literally is a global pandemic oh my God, I have this, you know, issue. Which, and I think lots of times, actually when I go back and listen to some of the singers, I think the singers were sometimes even more effed up than their music was. And now <laughs> the singers are as effed up as their music is maybe, <laughs> uh, or maybe even less, and they're they're putting it out there. And I think it's really hard to sort of make a sort of over overarching sort of statement about people's relationship with emo because you know, or any sort of musical genre or video games or anything like, is it healthy? Is it not healthy? It's so individually specific, right? And, you know, that's why therapy is just so important because it's able to figure out, is this a negative coping mechanism or a positive coping mechanism? And it really, really varies for people. A lot of people are like, I don't want emo to still be associated with just being sad. And like, as, mm -hmm. a, as a marketing person too, it does feel like a lot of it markets itself on like, we're sad. We're no, just, we're still sad. We're still sad <laughs> and all that. And it's like, it's very interesting to me that there was a marketing. People were marketing on that emotion, which otherwise was like, no, nobody actually wants to feel that you want to be like, come to our party. We're super happy and we're having a blast and everyone's drinking and everyone's young and pretty and attractive. But then it's like, no, do you want to come and feel really upset and sad <laughs> yeah. Do you want to be in a dark room and listen to the angriest music you've ever heard with 45 friends it's like no that's weird why would i want to do that yeah 
Um, and I think what's interesting, if you think about like, right, so um, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning is on my wall mm -hmm. behind me. Um, that album has really sad songs on it. And then it also has First Day of My mm -hmm. Life on it. it. Dashboard Confessional has Best Deceptions. And they also have Vindicated and Hands Down, right? And those emotions are going, right? The, the new artist, the one, uh, David, that spells a D4VD yeah. or whatever, right? Two songs, actually, like, the same thing. Like, one, Romantic Homicide, and the other one, like, Here With Me, right? And, like, it's these, they exist in it, right? And... I also think lots of, so I had this conversation when I was 20 years old in college that was like, now I'm just like, of course, Troy, but like 20 year old Troy was like, whoa, this was mind blowing. And it was, I was talking to somebody about the song Vindicated by Dashboard Confessional. <laughs> Man too. And I was like, he's, I'm like, don't you like this? Don't you want to feel this intensity of emotion? And he was like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and then like, you you know, you learn about the fact that people in psychology classes, like they have different, you know, set points and they have different desires for things and they have different comfort levels. And so I think that I think that sometimes when people look at emo and they criticize it, uh, they're engaging in the most egocentric bias possible, which is they're saying, this is how I feel comfortable with my emotions is I like to be between here and I do not feel comfortable being here or here. Right. And I you could argue and lots of artists would say you're wrong. You should be the whole pendulum <laughs> of life and you're not living. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay a scientist and just say people have different set points, have different sort of ranges that they feel more comfortable in feeling and um, and stuff. Uh, sidebar, one of the, I teach a lot of uh, work with a lot of groups on like. Uh, in organizations where they do things to get people to think differently, whether that is like innovation or inclusion stuff. And one of the phrases I hate is let's get uncomfortable. Let's get comfortable being uncomfortable because the people who say that they've never, they're not <laughs> actually uncomfortable. They're like, they are always, they are always comfortable feeling this sort of intensity and this like existential battle in their own mind, which is like, oh my God, I was racist yesterday. And they can sort of like actually deal with that really, really easily. And other people can't as well. And it need, they need to get them to there. And it's just, it, it, people, we just don't understand how different people's cognitive structures are. And we end up sort of just like assaulting other people's preferences, or we just we just launch into sort of an educational thing, whether it's innovation or inclusion, that just does not work the way it literally can. And so, yeah, different people have different emotional variants. That's like so interesting to kind of hear those those differences, especially with like the whole comfortability of everything, because we hear so much nowadays is saying like you need to set your boundaries with certain people for yourself, for your emotional well-being and everything of that nature. But when we also look at it, too, it's like, oh, I can do that for just like music level. So I don't overly <laughs> damage myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's um, yeah. Emotions are really complicated to begin with and are different for different people. Not everybody and want to hear the saddest yeah. thing they've ever heard yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, again, like for me, I'm like, will like sometimes be, you know, 
being like, nobody's challenged my beliefs enough lately, <laughs> right? Well, right? And some people are like, they never want their beliefs challenged for the most part, or they, or it needs to be different. And I'm just like, I need to go watch a YouTube video that actually tells me that Bo Burnham isn't as brilliant as I think he is. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, that's what I yeah. need today because I want m my favorite pop artist to be a, someone. I want to literally have someone criticize him because I want to be pushed and I want that feeling uh, that uh, I enjoy. I, I, I went down that path at one point too. I'm like, <laughs> but we're, we're past inside. We're now at least as a, as a culture going back outside I need someone to give me new thoughts on Bo Burnham now. And it still like comes <laughs> off as just like, yeah, inside's really good, but you also need to experience like how, yeah, like somebody else is also experiencing the thing. And then I go, yep. why? I could just like the thing I like. That's okay too. I could just enjoy the thing that mm -hmm. I enjoy. And, and I don't need this challenge to my entire uh, structure of existence. Yeah. So I think the other thing that really is true about, a lot of emo people, especially like what what I think the emo that I think most of us like more, which is like post 2000 emo, mm -hmm. right? So eyeliner-ish emo, it's very theatrical, which means at times people are partaking in the feeling of an emotion that they may not even have at that moment, right? It's a bunch of theater kids and cinemaphiles who became musicians, right? You're saying I mean, it really loudly right now. <laughs> Brian's personally I mean, that, attacked as a former as theater a kid. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and so um, I think that lots of people don't understand that, you know, there is such, there's a theatricality to it. The intensity of the motion may not, the, the literal thing may not be how people feel, right? But like, um, and maybe you can you can talk about like the moral qualms of like enjoying a song about having cancer if you've never had cancer before to go out of like the extreme one on the My Chem song. But just like those those other things, you're 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 engaging in the theatrical experience of it. And and I would say that like my parents or certain other people, they'll watch a movie and they'll have this safe distance between them and the character. And also at the movie, everything will be fine at the end usually, but, and they can engage in it in that sort of theatricality, but I want to go on stage and sing the sad songs from rent. <laughs> yep. Right. That's, that's, that's my vibe. When you, uh, when you sit with your parents and they, they name all the actors and what other movies they've been in, instead of just like enjoying like the plot of the I, I like noticed this one time and I'm just like, you guys aren't enjoying what's actually happening in the movie. You're just saying like, Oh, that's that one actor who was also in this or what's that guy's name. Like he was in that one movie we really liked. It's like that's that has nothing to do with the plot of this movie. And we like just dive in and like feel all of this and we can watch the credits at the end and do all of that. But yeah, yeah. I noticed that like separation of where I'm like, no, I want to like be a part of this film and you want to talk about who the actors are in it. And that is a separation of like the actual thing that's happening or the character they're playing or, or all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you described is also, I think what people like about Drake, 
Like, it's like, oh, he referenced this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. And then I went on Genius and I learned that he also referenced this thing and this thing. And now I know what an FBO is, a fixed base operator for rich people like him, right? And, um, and, or like you're watching the Marvel movies with someone and like, I love the Marvel movies because I think the Marvel movies are actually incredibly emotional. Um, they are about friends dealing with stuff and like they metaphorically blow up an airport in their conflict. <laughs> I love that. And then people, and then all my friends will be like, Oh, what was your favorite part? And I'll be like, I really liked when Tony said, I don't care. And they're like, I like the part where it referenced this 1987 comic, right? And that's fine. It's an entirely <laughs> different experience, but we are just like, we're experiencing it differently. This is more sort of a personal vicarious experience through the metaphor theatrical interpersonal play of these people. And this is you enjoying your fandom and your expertise and your nostalgia. I also like Easter eggs. Just this one point <laughs> there. It's just Big fan they're, of lower. they're lower on the list. Except the freaking uh, I'm not excited for space whales in Mandalorian, if that makes any sense to either. I haven't of you. watched any of Mandalorian yet, and okay. all my my Star Wars fan friends are gonna be like, How have you skipped this whole thing? But I'm a big Marvel fan, mm -hmm. so you know, I got that at least. He's got that going. Yeah, I like Star Wars, but I haven't had time to like sit down and watch it. I'm a big fan of Baby Yoda, um, because he's so cute, <laughs> which I feel like that's most of general society. Um, <laughs> at the same time, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a really good example. Like, I watch, um, I watch The Mandalorian with my significant other, and she is just like literally emotionally reacting to seventy five percent of the seconds. That, that Grogu is on the screen. <laughs> and I'm just like, cool. Cool. Yeah. That's nice. That's, That's nice. nice. Like, cool she's having a good time I, over there. I want <laughs> I want us to look at Mandalorian and imagine the emotions inside of Dinjarans that we can't see right now as he struggles to deal with this situation. That's what I'm here <laughs> for. Um, like, oh my god, he did you, maybe you ought to use the force to get a candy. Isn't that cute? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's cute. Not what I'm about, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm glad I, under, I understand that that is a emotional experience had by most people and not me. Considering that uh, Werner Herzog was in charge oh of God. making uh, Baby Yoda, how do you feel that uh, a, a man so well known for his emotional outbursts uh, <laughs> brought to the set of that show? It's like a very esoteric question that I'm just like, Werner this is Herzog the time to ask. On this set is the talking time. about emotion, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a good example, right? The 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 sides of this possibility, right? Yeah. Emotion is this two sided thing, right? Um, fear and happiness are very close, <laughs> right? In your mind, his uh, I think his his idea was like, I don't I don't really want to do a Werner Herzog impression, but it's very hard he for could. me to hear a quote in my head and not immediately think in his voice, where he's just like, "You must make the baby a puppet." <laughs> Do not be a. He's like, he's like, you are cowards if you do it in CGI. He's like, nobody will have an emotional attachment to like this baby if it's just CGI. You need to create a puppet, and it needs to be a physical thing that they can see, and it looks like you could, you could, you know, reach out in your screen, and it's right there. 
and and obviously Pedro Pascal, just a national treasure, needs to react to it and have emotional connection to it. Otherwise, what's the point? And I'm like, God damn, this emotionless German man really set us straight here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's like there's research on the idea that just certain things we feel drawn to that like we want to approach um whether it's soft whether it's like a coffee cup and we've just always imagined putting our hand and grabbing it from that side and our brain will just like mentally rehearse that inside of ourselves and uh and then sometimes when something doesn't look real like ant-man and the wasp quantum mania we just won't get the same feelings I don't want to do any spoilers because that movie Brian is sounds like so he's really new. processing that. <laughs> like, I felt emotion at a at like two or two or three times in that movie, and everyone else like I felt nothing, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I get it. It's very, it's just a <laughs> lot of like, uh, bright colors and sounds and and all that happening across the screen the whole way. So, it's like it's 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 definitely a challenge to emotionally see yourself and and empathize with just like. CGI characters glowing on a screen and you're like, cool, well, that meant nothing to me. But there there are parts that I enjoyed. It was also like it can be just a dumb fun ride. That's okay too for me. Yeah. Uh random thought on the Marvel universe. So it's not perfect, but largely you can go through the movies and look at the Rotten Tomato score and see we like movies when the characters fail at some time during the movie. In Ant-Man Quantumania, the characters really don't fail enough, right? And so we don't get sort of this emotion thing. We don't get through the arc, right? We don't get the true sort of sad next to the happiness, right? If you think about how much failure there are is in every single Avengers movie, um, right? Coulson dies in that in the in that one. Uh, uh, Tony creates um, Ultron, but there's less failure in Ultron, yeah. and that movie has the least of it, yeah. right? Captain America's Civil War, which is more or less an Avengers movie, tons of failure in that. Infinity War, the biggest failure possible. And then Endgame, consistent, consistent failure. Even the first act is them re-failing to <laughs> yeah. stop Thanos, right? And um, and that can, can get a lot. Um, and uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and... and describing the hero's journey uh as well like that it's this is i'm gonna bring it back to music now i'm really bad at transitions i'm not lizzie (laughs) but um to bring it back to music and something that i found really interesting about uh a lot of hip-hop records is that there are actually hero's journeys when these like big budget hip-hop records are written like kendrick lamar uh kanye west records which you know don't listen to as much anymore but there's like a hero's journey and a full like like you said, like there's there's failure in it. There's successes. There's all these different like experiences that happen from beginning to end. And I sometimes find that like emo really misses out on that storytelling adventure, uh, even with like concept truckers like Black Parade. It's like, yeah, but you don't really have enough like of the of the the ups and downs. You have a lot of either like the failure or you have a lot of the like, you know, I'm really mm-hmm. like just getting one emotion out and the lyrics don't really like give you that, that journey that somebody's going on. And I've always thought that like in, in the same sense of like movies and, and the TV shows that we're all like fans of, and also like emo music, emo music really misses out on that emotional journey in the same way. Yeah. So a very interesting thing about that. If we talk, the thing we talked about before we started recording is criticism 
it's really, really easy to understand the value of something when it has a story. Mm -hmm. It's because you can get into it. There's a conceptual thing. You can get into it. And even if you don't relate to the emotion, you can relate to it like a movie. Emo, for the most part, is just like, are you on board with this emotion right now? <laughs> and if not, you're going to hate this. Um, right. And so that's that's another probably reason why emo sort of gets dragged down compared to other genres. And maybe from like a critical standpoint, that actually is true because it is not sort of a using the power of storytelling in the same way and inviting other people in. Um, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I think one of the best one of my favorite bands and people is Andrew McMahon, Wilderness, Jax, Soko. They they he has a lot of storytelling in his stuff and there is sort of a reverence around him, even sometimes people outside of emo for it. And I think one of those reasons, a his lyrics are really poetic rather than bl as blunt. And um, and then second, his um, his use of just really, really simple storytelling um, uh, or, or not always so simple really allows that to happen. And yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now, when we kind of getting back to like emotion, because we've been saying it a lot now, <laughs> what is the full definition of what we're kind of looking at it as a scope? Because I feel like a lot of us can say I'm emo, I'm emotional, I'm going through it it just be that way and sometimes everything that kind of falls under that what is kind of the lens and scope that you hone in on when you're kind of looking at things in these different angles yeah so science is very specific right so i'm gonna go sometimes i my tagline is scientific mind artistic heart bye bye artistic heart for the next minute <laughs> right just scientific mind um so Science is very specific. So emotion at sort of our definition of it, or one definition is, it is a specific reaction to a personal or significant event, which is related to physiological, cognitive, and behavioral outcomes, right? So when you feel sad, you will literally do things like this. It's an avoidant emotion. You will shut down. Sometimes you actually might even get colder. Right. If you um, if you feel anger, that's an approach emotion. Right. So I'm going to approach. I'm literally going to lean in towards the thing. Lots of times I'm going to you know, have the heart beating fast and it's going to be associated with certain things. My brain, like the kind of the like oversimplified way is like different parts of the neural network is going to be activated. Like I dislike you quick to judgment because I got to make an action immediately. Um, and sometimes actually people who are sad will make better, more accurate judgments because they literally, their brain is not saying make a decision immediately. Um, and so, yeah, so there's all these things that are surrounded for sort of each emotional pattern. And of course, psychology is so damn complicated to actually study that we still really don't really have a firm understanding of what these sort of emotions really, really are. I mean, we're still debating what consciousness is and consciousness in the definition of emotion is really, really complicated. In fact, one of my advisors published a paper where he subconsciously primed emotions, um, like used like words around like guilt and then people behave differently around some eating task and uh, they made him publish the paper with the name 
priming, subliminal priming of emotional concepts was sort of like the title of the paper because they wouldn't let him say emotion because the current definition or the definition at that time was emotion is conscious. And so it's really, really complicated to sort of define all these things. And one of the things I really liked is as being somebody who often refers to themselves as an applied behavioral scientist is that I am not trying to get to capital T truth because I'm just trying to get enough information that we can better act. And also anybody trying to get to capital T truth is gonna die before they do. <laughs> Sorry, you're living in the 21st century, maybe the 22nd century people will get it, but you don't have a chance probably. We won't be able to, it's, it's like the idea of distilling down the entire human experience into anything and saying, yeah, we get a full range of it from everybody. And uh, yeah, we, we don't need to do that either. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, can I flip, flip this around and start asking you all questions? Sure. Let's sure. Do it. Awesome. Cool. So, um, yeah, so one of the things I really like is I like studying emotion, but as a sort of social psychologist as well, I'm really interested in social interaction and fandom and work for things like Comic-Con and obviously Disney is itself like that. So I am just fascinated by how you make decisions around all the stuff that you do. Um, so uh, I'm really interested in... Uh, Lizzie, your idea on what you think about the way the media talks about emo. And um, Brian, I'm really interested in when you do parties and things like that, how do you choose which music and how do you choose to present emo? And I think you did an event where you had like an emo versus pop punk thing. Yeah, that's what that it would yeah, be. That's what DJ Nights. Yeah. No, we just did that okay. over the two weekends ago. Or, oh, yeah. 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 Um, but Lizzie, I'll let you go first. Yeah, so for the way that media perceives emo, and this is coming from someone who has obviously a journalism and music radio background, when we look at it, I always say, I look at it in the popular scope lens, especially for like work purposes when I'm explaining it to people. Um, and I think the best way to explain it is I was at a broadcast conference this past week in New York um, that was for uh, the collegiate level. And I had a student come up to me who had her own radio show that specializes in emo, pop punk, hard rock, and was asking me, I've interviewed bands like, I don't know how about they found me, and that's a really big get. Um, why can't I get these bigger bands? And she started naming off a couple of them, and I'm like, okay, well, here's the thing. From a popular scope, I don't know how about they found me is not a large get. For you, it's personally a large get. For me, it may be a large get because I'm also a big, you know, early Panic of the Disco fan. Like, that would be really, really cool. But in the larger scope of things, that's not a big enough get to say that you are a seasoned, experienced enough media professional to say, okay, I'm going to let you interview like Paramore or Jimmy Eat World. And I don't feel like a lot of people see it that way, especially those who are really entrenched in like the emo and pop punk, the DIY scene, because they're going to say, well, these are really big bands to me and they have been or they've been uh -huh. really big in the scene. Like they're on Warp Tour. Or we get really excited yeah. when we see, you know, different folks like headlining Lollapalooza that we wouldn't think that they'd be there. Like Green Day last year, we're like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Even though they're one of the biggest bands in the world, they're <laughs> arguably like one of the yeah. new rock 
band cultural staples that's going to be around for forever that we always hear on the radio next to red hot chili peppers and that's just being realistic don't in... even red hot chili peppers on there <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's being realistic in it and uh, at least for me like to step away from it as somebody who also works on like the diy side and is really into the newer waves of emo and the newer pop punk too and i'm always pushing for people to listen to that music because in like the the popular radio the popular music sphere People aren't looking for that. They just want to see what what sells and what's going to make them a quick buck because that's the music industry at that higher level. That's the radio industry at the higher level. So when you're trying to get them to really take into consideration like a new artist or band, even like Kenny Hoopla, who's one of my personal top favorite new ones. And I've been pushing so many people, um, just sending them to like my friends that I work with who are at alternative rock stations who would probably put that on more than the ones that are under my umbrella here in Chicago. I'm like, it's really silly that you don't have him on here yet because he's already like toured with all these larger artists, these larger bands, and he's already worked with Travis Barker. He's done all these crazy things. How is he not more popular and not more famous? And it's just because they want to have a guarantee sell. And I think the way that media looks at it, especially with how TikTok has changed the formatting of how artists are getting signed right now. It's been good, but it's also been really damaging in the end because it's making a lot of radio and music industry professionals want to make that that quick buck rather than developing an artist that's going to be longer lasting, which then in longer term, you're going to probably profit off more so for you know decades to come rather than one decade, if that, if it makes it. And I think for emo music as well, People see it as a comeback and they see it as new and fresh. And there's been a, so many more takes because people have adapted it into something really hip and cool to get the next generation into it. And while sure, like I'm somebody who has gone to a lot of shows very, very recently, especially after pandemic, I've been really annoyed with there's kids there who have never been to a show before and they don't have concert etiquette, but it's better that they're there because in another, you know, 10, 15 years when that research is comes back, People are going to they're going to be in the same spot as me. And then we're going to hear more really good, adaptive and creative music that we haven't heard before. And it's still going to be called emo. And maybe we're mm-hmm. going to be like, that's not emo. And it's going to come all back around. <laughs> and I think that's like such a cool concept. Yeah. Um, so two two yes ands to that. So one, I so I love that idea that you it's a big band to you, but it's not a big band to mm-hmm. the world. Right. So one of my sort of things I like to say in the discussion of psychology is that the true most fundamental bias is egocentrism. I think I've already said it, which is that how I feel, I see the world through my own eyes and that biases everything. Um, And it's such an interesting idea. You go to Warp Tour and you see Mayday Parade have so many people and you're just like, this is the biggest band in the world. They had almost as many people as whatever the most popular band at Warp Tour was. But it was just because those kids were there and then they can't even like sell out a sizable venue, like what you might consider a sizable venue when they're coming through your town. And yeah, that's fascinating. Um, And then the second thing, so one of the things I think is really interesting about modern business is business has gotten smarter in a lot of ways, and it actually is not always good for the consumer because the business is now smart enough that it now knows what a safe bet is and it now knows how to invest. Now, does it make tons of mistakes sometimes? Yes. 
but it is pre it, it's better than it was in the 90s like just like like if you think in sports like moneyball now exists in sports there's a version of moneyball that now exists in other things and that can lead to better business decisions but it also doesn't lead to all these random risks that can lead to things like um you know everywhere every ev everything everywhere all at once right now fortunately <laughs> the a24 also figured out that they could be smart in that lane um and so there are exceptions but it is yeah it is really interesting as a person who's who, uh, who's worked for i worked for disney in 2010 and then uh 2022 yeah like just how much disney has gone from like let's try this to this is a billion dollar project <laughs> right um and uh it's just a different vibe sorry billion dollar Ant this is our billion dollar tron project that's finally <laughs> open <laughs> yeah uh-huh um i'll answer now i guess okay with my part so so there's a question about <laughs> so like excited. how not not like sad i'm just more like yeah i don't know if i wanted to like jump on that or or it's okay we, it's, it's a, we, there's no quirky transition i'm sorry no quirky Steve. transition um sorry. so the question was like about like uh, uh choosing the like Choosing the songs, choosing the vibe, choosing like how this stuff like comes into uh into into the world, into these parties and into all that. Um so I originally kind of started doing emo parties in twenty wanna say twelve. Um I had a band and I was trying to push that band to people, like in the in the gorilla way. This is literally like the start of Facebook. This is like pre-instagram this is pre-anything so there's not a lot that i could really promote on and you, you couldn't buy ads i had to do it all like guerrilla marketing and so um i would always go to like my friends parties and and uh just you know enjoy my time there but also talk about like yeah i'm in this band we have a new song out or whatever and and just make friends there that would hopefully listen and hopefully come to shows um my friends eventually started doing uh a they called it like an indie emo pop punk party that happened on Monday nights. And I just made myself such a problem for them that they had to eventually let me plug my phone in and start playing music for people. And uh, once I started doing that, like there was like a clear like change in the room that everybody's like, no, we really want to go to parties where we hear my chemical romance. Like we don't go anywhere and hear these songs, but we all know them. We all like them. We might as well do it here. 10 years later, it's just like, you know, I've been doing that for that amount of time and like uh, just randomly DJing at things and just throwing on that music. And once it started to like pop back up again, it's like, sweet. I'm really glad that I practiced for this thing that I never knew I would have to do. But now I'm really fucking good at it. Um, and I, I started a, a, an emo cover band, too, which is uh, the, the thing we just did over the not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Um I don't know why I'm making that specific for the podcast. They didn't come anyway. So, you know, uh, <laughs> that's on them. But the uh, the show itself was billed as like an emo versus pop punk. Yeah. Type event. And we we sold it out. It was an incredible show. Uh, we did it with some other friends in a, another band. They were the the pop punk and we were the emo. So we kind of split the everything down the middle there. Um, did you, pause. It, was there a song that you fought over? No, we let them have it, but there were there was we like some Fall Out Boy and some Yellow Card on theirs, and I was like, well, we normally play that, but 
that's fine. They, they can have it. Uh-huh. Um, the only other song that appeared on both of our set list was MGK's Bloody Valentine. We'll just let that one. Sl- I was like, you know what? You guys can have that one. Go That's for it. Yeah. <laughs> have a great night. Uh, yeah, but not really. But there, like you're you're pointing out though, there was like there's very clearly like a, a a crossover that happens between this emo versus pop punk, and yet for some reason we do it as like a battle royale between the two. And I'm like, huh. I don't know why, man, but for some reason people like enjoyed the theme of that, and yeah. we decided rather than turning it into like this actual like battle royale with like which is better we said you know what let's do it as like a valentine's day event and we'll just put it together as that and we won't worry about like who wins and who loses it's more of just like we all come together and we're celebrating like the holiday and called it valentine's day massacre and i was like (laughs) i talked very openly with my band where i was like i don't know man it's whatever it's fine it (laughs) let's let's let the audience decide rather than me decide because like i've thought about how many times if i saw like a poster for a show whether or not that poster would ever get me to go and that's why i'm like yeah i'm not designing posters like i'm not in charge of the design for anything because i probably wouldn't go to any poster that i saw uh on the other hand when i'm at the show when i'm playing the songs when i'm picking the songs like that it really is like down to like what the audience has responded to over those 10 years of just like, yeah, every time I play Mayday Parade, they go kind of crazy for this song, this song, this song, maybe not too big for that one. Maybe I don't want to play miserable at best every party we do, but maybe yeah. I want to do it one time here and there, you know, and, and balance that out. Um, so it, it's some thoughts like that. Like, can we fit these songs in? that we know everybody will like. And then also can we fit in songs that we like because we have to still entertain ourselves. And when it comes to like a DJ night, I do a lot more of that. (laughs) I'm just like, no, I'm playing songs I like and the audience is better, uh, better understand. When we did our, our Twitch DJ streams, we did a lot more of that because we were more like telling like our, like like you're, you're saying like the egocentric side of it is like, this is literally our time exclusively. Like you're coming to, our twitch stream to see our dj set we don't have to do anything for you if we don't want to so we we like would open up requests and we'd let other people like play artists and all that and kind of give that experience back too but we made it very much like when we are on our twitch stream we're gonna do what we like and then when we go into the the real world and we have to play it we're like maybe we won't do all of that but we're gonna do some of it here's a couple songs like as a treat so you you can you can choose to not answer this because maybe you want to surprise your audience. But uh, do you play remixes of songs, and what songs do you play that like might be adjacent to the genre? Like I don't know, like Linkin Park yeah. or Arctic Monkeys, and what do you play that might be like generally outside of the genre, like uh, like non emo rap and Taylor Swift? I'll play Taylor Swift every time. Yeah, Brian's a Taylor Swift a stan. Shit. He is a Swifty. <laughs> I, I know, like, we, we have both played... He, Brian played Taylor Swift one time, and someone was really upset about someone it. Got, yeah, someone it got mad on, on the Instagram. <laughs> on the Instagram. <laughs> and uh, this was... We we did it at Emo Night LA, and somebody commented on an Emo Night LA post and said, hey, somebody in Chicago played Taylor Swift. Like, you know, why would you do that? And then the person responded, like, was this this at the Chicago party? They're like, Yeah. And like, I'm really sorry you had to hear three and a half minutes of a song you didn't like. And then you moved on to another <laughs> song you did. 
Um, I am, I am very open to songs that are not in this emo. Like, I'm putting parentheses up in the air, like as though it like fits within those parentheses. I think that we're pretty much in a realm where Linkin Park and new metal like fits mm -hmm. very cleanly into emo. If just because of like the general time frame that all this stuff came out. So kids were probably like on that line of like, I like this Linkin Park song. So this transition into listening to the used is pretty easy. Um, and I'm like trying to find other lines that I can kind of blur like that. EDM is another really easy one for me because it, it was that, like you said, Cobra Starship coming right out of it into EDM when every band and I throw myself in this pile too, every band was trying to put EDM in their music. And uh -huh. so every band definitely has that one record that has a little bit more electronics in it. And so you can very cleanly like bring in some of that side of it too. A lot of people have grown up liking emo then like EDM. And now they're having that, like, don't forget, we all really liked Skrillex as Skrillex now for longer than we liked him in from first to last. Uh, so I've been trying to actually put Skrillex in, in some sets. Um, uh -huh. And then, yeah, like I also think there is a, firm uh, uh, underrepresentation of women in pop punk and emo and a lot of the the pop artists like Miley Cyrus made pop punk records I'm gonna throw it in huh. like seven things is a pop punk yeah. song yeah that's a there's pop no banger. there's no reason it can't go in that set it 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 just because yeah. you're like oh Miley Cyrus it's like no Miley Cyrus pop punk 2000 and yeah what nine whatever play yeah two, yeah pure disney core i think the thing is too like when i go and i do it i'm a big jonas brothers stan and a lot of their earlier stuff is very pop punk centric um uh -huh. and someone actually complained to me one time they're like why did you play jonas brothers i'm like um because i'm allowed who's gonna tell me no two reasons one have and a good two time. yeah i'm like <laughs> it's a banger why are you upset but i like last month i was djing upstairs and i like to do like a neon pop punk block where we get into like some of that edm like Bree carolina cobra starship but i like uh -huh. to throw because i love cascada like more than every time we touch like uh -huh. i love cascada so i will put things like that in. i played um all the things she said tattoo mm -hmm. last uh -huh. month too um and i like to just put things like that like i know i know coming up for anyone who's gonna be at our email set <laughs> tomorrow um i think one of the most underrated bangers is Backstreet Boys, The Call. And I am going to play it because <laughs> it just goes. It just goes hard. Um, I, I always like to do things like that. And I think, too, when you have indie music, like you would um, you mentioned in like your email. So it's like you love Marina and the Diamonds. I love Marina and the Diamonds, too. I'm yep. a Tumblr girly through and through with that. I think if I played Bubblegum Bitch at an emo night, I don't know how it will be received, but I know at least 10 people would probably pop off to it, as they should. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, yeah. When I used to DJ parties in college, I always I always would have, like, that banger song that would bring everybody back to the dance floor, like, low or please don't stop the music. And I would just be like, I'm going to go as far down. Like, one time I played... <laughs> oh, I've already mentioned... I played a song from Rent. Yep. And, like... 15 kids were just like, Troy, you are our god. <laughs> and everyone else was like, we hate you. And then I'm like, I'm going to play Flow Rider, and you're just going to love it. And then you're going to forget that I just did that. You're going to um, hear Shorty's got yeah, the meth, I mean, a lot of jeans, and what else? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think that what's if we were like talking about like how people experience music. I think that there are kind of two types of emo fans. There are more than two types of emo fans, but one are like, we love the genre and others are like, we like the expressive bluntness of the emotion. So Taylor Swift is going to hit that, right? A lot of these modern Uzi Vert like and the people who have followed him fit that kind of thing and they can get down on that type of stuff. And as much as I don't really like MGK, <laughs> I'm like bloody Valentine. Like it, it's that emotion or I'm not his, what's the one that's I'm okay. I'm not oh, okay. I think I'm okay. Oh, I, With young I think blood. I'm okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Big fan of my accent work earlier. <laughs> oh yeah. I was about to say you nailed it. I don't know why you don't bring it back. Nope. <laughs> uh, it, it's, um, MGK is oh. fine. I'm not going to say like, I'm a huge fan, but, He's if he's selling Wait, we've seen a lot him. of we've seen him, we've like seen him a bunch times. of times. The show's yeah. been fun, but if it weren't for him playing, you know, most of like his pop punk records, I wouldn't give a shit and I wouldn't yeah, go. The, the last time we saw him, he was like, all right, here's old stuff from my rap albums. And we're like, this is everybody kind of it, it was like definitely songs? like a like, a, <laughs> yeah, the, the dial got turned down yeah. and then he went back into the new stuff and it, the dial turned. It, back yeah, up. it went back up. Yeah. Yeah. But there were probably like 5% of people who were like, yeah, yeah there was. Yeah, problems. there was kids yeah. who were like, yeah, let's uh, go. And I'm like, this is a fake song. I yeah. don't know why you're doing this. Yeah, I was listening to this person talk about MGK and had this interesting thing to say. I think a lot of modern emo fans and a lot of pop punk fans are angry at MGK and they hate that they're like, how do these kids like this? And they're like, he is delivering the aesthetic and sometime the emotion that we all loved at least a bit. And he's introducing to people who had never heard that before. And so when they hear that, this is probably like, you know, we're talking now three, four, five years ago when that first thing came out, they're like, oh my God, what is this? Right? To some degree, the same way that I felt when I heard <coughs> the first Linkin Park or Taking Back Sunday song I heard, right? And, uh, and yeah. Um, so that leads me to this question that I love asking people, and you have kind of touched on it in some of the things, but is how has your relationship to this genre changed over time? And do you, when you sit down to listen to music, and I'll lead you, I'll just answer my question. I am much more likely to listen to post 2010 music than the aughts music in part because while theatrically I can enjoy listening to a Taking Back Sunday song like um, <coughs> Cut From The Team, I, I, why would I refer to the, by that title? You want to be edgier than the rest, <laughs> yeah. and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will, I will, uh, I can theatrically do it and I can nostalgically do it. Um, but I'm pretty happy with where my existence is now. And I also need other types of music. So like modern death cab or even modern fallout boy and quote, the mature bitterness as Patrick Stump called it, <laughs> uh, like hits me in, in a different way. So, but what is your feeling? Uh, I'll go first. I, okay. <laughs> so being that I was like, a teenager at the time right like growing up in the the chicago suburbs with people who were like yeah my buddy pete and patrick and all that it's like i, I had a very like interesting reaction to that at the time 
where I was like, nah, fuck Ball Boy. Like, I don't even like this band. Uh, and then like came around finally for good, for good. Like I, I needed to come around and needed to learn from just like that experience. Uh, but like legitimately, I don't listen to it outside of emo nights now. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it is very rare that I would ever put on a My Chemical Romance record at home. And that's like one of my top five favorite bands of all time, a band that I literally have learned all the music to for doing shows as the band. Uh, we have a show this Saturday, so come on out. Uh, again, this will be going up next week, so no one who hears this will be able to go to the it's show. It's okay. I'll be there because it's down the street from my house. True. <laughs> uh, but I'm not listening to it outside of like practicing it for that or, or yeah, doing it at, a, at an emo night. Like I just cannot. I, I, I've heard it too much at this point. But then mm-hmm. you go to like a concert. Uh, you know, you see Mike Hem at Riot Fest or at When We Were Young. And you're like, man, like this is like that. Ex- that's the that's the experience, right? Like that's the point. That's why I listened to it at home for all these years was so I could see the band do it. And I do feel like there's just like it's sort of like this is the experience for the people who are having it for the first time now. But my experience was having it in 2005, 2006 when I was at the Taste of Chaos show, when I was at the Black Parade tour. And it's like, yeah, that that was my time. I'm not going to have the exact same nostalgic experience and I'm not going to feel the same level of excitement seeing my in 2022, 2023, as I did seeing a giant black parade blimp fly over my head around the, the people in the uh, in the, the, the time. It was the Rosemont Arena. I think oh, now it's, it's called United. No, something no, else Allstate? Now. Allstate Arena. There it is. Yeah, I was about to say, United is in the city. <laughs> look, man, I don't know. Some company owns it, and they call it whatever they want to call it. But it's like, yeah, that 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 was my experience, and that was my time. So I think it's just I'm trying to find new things like that that excite me differently than just seeing the same band that I saw 20 years ago, uh, uh, you know, 15 years ago, and trying yeah. to have that exact same experience with it. Uh Lizzie and I went to a festival and saw Swaco and I was like, yeah, okay. Swaco is actually really fun. I checked out the record after that and was like, this is actually really just, it's, it's dumb. It's entertaining. It's super fun. And that was like the first experience I had seeing Swaco. And now I feel like I'm having that similar experience to the first time I saw an artist I really liked 10 years ago. I just can't do it the same way with like, yeah, with my cam, with, uh, with, I can kind of do with Paramore. Paramore, I'm still like, yes, Paramore, I love you. Yeah. It's interesting, like, the music that I like that is new from young people is the music that is more stupider, like Swaco, Mm -hmm. because if they're singing uh, an emotional song, I'm not going to relate to it. And I actually had this thing when I had this thing with my students is because they'd all come up to me and recommend me songs. And most of the songs they would recommend me would be the equivalent of like, if you see Jordan, fuck you, Jordan. Like this <laughs> angry, like high school shit or like, I'm, I'm just a kid. Life is a nightmare. Right. And so I had this example of like, where I explained in this class is that, I loved that music growing up. I loved it. But if I, a 35-year-old man who is a professor, (laughs) 
is listening to those things genuinely. <laughs> I failed so much, right? And so I need a song like The National or new uh, Andrew McMahon. Like Andrew McMahon has like all these things like chasing dreams. You can get so tired. You can't tell that they're coming true. I need something to remind me to to enjoy this thing that has occurred and stuff. And um, I love doing that with students in part because students have never... I have this sidebar. I, I'm going to get on my step stool and I always do this. <laughs> Everybody says you can't explain things to youth. Yes, you can. You just literally no one has ever explained anything logically or with statistics to them. <laughs> like my parents are like, you're your friends from high school. They're not going to be that important. And I'm just like, no, they're going to be that important. And like you just tell like a kid, like your friends from high school. There are about 700 of them there. There's 700 people. You're going to go to college. There's going to be 20,000 people there. And they're going to be more like you because they all chose that college. And there's going to be like hundreds of people who are like your best friend right now. And like a kid who is moderately intelligent can understand that. And like <laughs> all these little things that we don't really understand that if we just logically explain, it's not going to be perfect or something like that. But using statistics or explaining anything while using a timeline that affirms the person rather than a parent just being like, you don't understand. Kids never understand. <laughs> I didn't understand. My parents didn't explain. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I get really, really, really angry at people who say, I'm going to say it one more time, who literally use no valid communication tactics and then say you cannot communicate something. So, yeah, sorry. That's, that's fair. That's valid. Perfect, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Lizzie, your feelings on email. Uh, and then, uh, I, so real quick, yeah. um, Brian. Oh, we got it. We got to say, yeah, up. we'll we'll do this and then we'll do a little wrap up. You can toss out plugs and all that at the end of that. No, no rush. I'm just like, yeah, we'll just do that after that. And then we can keep asking a few questions over on Twitch, too. Yeah. Uh, so, OK. And then real quick question, Brian, you are how old? I'm 36. Yeah. So you and I are the same yeah. age. And then Lizzie, you're a young millennial. I'm 28. Right? Yeah. I'm like on that weird cusp because I'm a, oh, I'm December a of 94. So I'm like between that Gen Z um, millennial, uh -huh. young millennial range. Uh-huh. So you're the ones that relate to all those TikToks about like, am I part of the like people who love Harry Potter or am I part of the people who are like, oh, I love this like Death Note meme. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I yep, was, that's her. I, I was neither, but I'm on both sides for some reason, probably for research yeah. purposes, most <laughs> often than not for me. Uh, I think I'm in the same boat with Brian, at least because like we do so many emo nights is that now recently, like I'm not going to put on like a taking back Sunday record and listen to it. Uh, I will say though, because I've always said this and I think it's funny and silly, especially when I hang out with Brian and some of our other friends who are like in their thirties. Because I started listening more to like Jimmy E. World like during COVID. And when I listened to Clarity and I started listening to more of those songs, I'm like, oh my God, this is like an early 2000s teen movie soundtrack. And like I can envision myself <laughs> like, what if I wasn't a literal child during the early 2000s and I could have experienced that? So it's like that kind of like, like fantasy uh -huh. thing for me of what if I was able to have that life where I guess people who were in like the early 2000s were like what was it like i don't know maybe like what was it like to live be in the 80s or like the early 90s some like when i originally when i was in high school i started getting into punk first 
And me being myself, I'm like, I need to know everything about punk if I'm going to get into it. So I would research. I like checked out so many books from my high school library and the public library about the history of punk and how it transformed into all these new subgenres and all these cultural staples and everything like that. And I was like, what if I was alive for the Ryan Girl movement and I wasn't literally a fetus? That would have been <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> um, or not even a thought in my parents' mind whatsoever. <laughs> like, wow, that would be really cool. So I always have looked at it, like, when I listen to these artists, because I can still listen, like, Fall Out Boy, Take This to Your Grave, um, as probably not healthy as it is, is my comfort album that whenever I'm having a panic mm -hmm. or anxiety attack, I immediately put it on and chug a very expensive cup of coffee that I bought to, <laughs> to treat myself in that moment to calm down. Because that's just, like, an album that, like, it does something to me. It comforts me, grounds me. It brings me back down to earth. And I, I think a lot of the other albums, too, like, from my chem, if I'm in the same boat and I'm really feeling some sort of way, I will put on I Brought You My Bullets, You Brought Me Your Love, which is my favorite my chem album. And I guess I'll listen to that through and full and kind of feel something mm -hmm. to it. I think one of my other favorite bands too is Hawthorne Heights and though they don't get played as often, they only get had Ohio is for lovers played and I love skeletons. That's me and my best friends. Like that's our best friend Hawthorne Heights band and that our album for them. So I will listen to that because you know, that's the first band <coughs> we saw together on our own. We were 14 years old in the mall parking lot at the zoomies couch tour seeing Hawthorne Heights and they they it was on the skeletons tour and nobody really liked that album even though their new stuff they're putting out now sounds exactly like skeletons and i'm like mm -hmm. the full energy out here like what's going on so i feel like i can still listen to a lot of that stuff because it isn't overplayed because of the, a lot of the stuff that i was kind of listening to too at that time was a lot of local acts that you don't hear either like i really love alistair and you don't ever hear that at emo nights and that's another one of me and my best friend that's our best friend band too so that's kind of where i am and one of my other favorite bands in high school is aiden rip because william controls a piece of shit um but i mean i have all of their lps and if i'm like i really try not to be like listening to him because he of everything that happened there but if i'm like really going through it i know i could turn it on and just be like like put put on my like my record player with any of the LPs and be like this is doing something to my little pea brain right now that is comforting me because it just it was there at such a pinnacle time in my life when I was in early when I was in like late high school and it was just there and I still feel now like I love Kenny Hoopla that's another artist that I feel like I listen to it and it gets me hyped up it gets me ready to go and I think also with like newer emo bands too that are out um like, I love Hot Mulligan. They're one of my favorite artists right now. And I saw them at a tiny suburban venue here, like, I think in 2016 to play to, like, 25 people. And now they're touring with the like Wonder Years. And they have played so many big festivals. And they're one of my favorite bands. I think for me, where I am, I think just because I missed that huge first wave of it, I can kind of really uh -huh. enjoy it in a different way. Because I'm also still, like fantasizing about the fact like what if i was like a teen in the early 2000s but i mean i see that now on tiktok people are like what if i was a teen in 2012 and it's like yeah. i was graduating high school and it was it was decent it was fine we don't need to relive it 
Yeah. So here's here's one last thought to sort of end this. One, I do listen to still a lot of this stuff, uh, especially the two that I have, Fall Out Boy and Bright Eyes, up here. Uh, but I remember when I went to one of the big Green Day tours in the, you know, American Idiot 21st Century Breakdown era, and I met people who were there at the Dookie times. And I had such reverence for them. <laughs> and I was like, tell me That's everything. so crazy. And then they did. And then... Fallout Boy brought out, you know, uh, say rock and roll in American Beauty, American Psycho, um, while I was a professor, and people were like, "Were you at the Warp tour when From Under the Cork Tree came out?" Based upon what you just said in your lecture, and I'm like, <laughs> and it was just this amazing, uh, you know, experience, and um, to sort of have this like intergenerational relationship with um with the, these people and they they experienced it differently and they had a they had a different reverence for the type of music just like I had a different reverence for Green Day than I had for the ones that I listened to and yeah I love this intergenerational thing that now exists um in emo and as a person who was a professor and still interacts with so many gen z people through educational initiatives and guest lecturing and all this stuff all the time i just love that there literally is this thing that is emotion related to psychology but also this thing that means so much to the kids that i can literally be like let's talk about <laughs> this and you are excited to hear a story uh well, yeah, let's go ahead and we'll wrap up the recording there and we'll move over to Twitch. Maybe we can answer some more questions or talk more a little bit over there. Um, but before we go, uh, if you want to toss out where people can find you on the Internet, if they want to learn more and uh, uh, anything like that. Yeah, so um, I'm not a huge promoter person. I work really behind the scenes at all these companies and stuff, but I really enjoy getting information out into the world. I'm blessed by the fact that lots of people talk about my work without me being famous. So here is something you can do. You can go to my website, www.troy-campbell.com. Yes, somebody beat me to it, so you have to put a <laughs> dash in there. But probably the easiest thing is if you've liked sort of anything about this, the sort of scientific mind, artistic heart approach to emotions, experiences, art, life, just type in my name, Troy Campbell, and then type in a word. So type in Disney, psychology, theme park, and most likely it will get you to the, the podcast or publication that will be most related to your thing. If you type in egocentrism, it will take you to that research. And yeah, that's probably the best way to um enjoy the work that i have put out there and now when they put emo at the end of it it'll be, be this. this now we got this yeah <laughs> uh well perfect Great. we're gonna keep talking over on twitch uh we'll hang out with with anybody there if anybody wants to add some thoughts so if you're not there you're missing out yeah you're uh, you're, you're messing up yeah but uh in the meantime uh troy this was awesome yeah thank this you was great, uh, dude. thanks for joining us tonight Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emo Social Club podcast. It was worth your five stars, so make sure you give it to us. Yeah, don't be cowards. Don't be. Uh, we also may want you to know, if you only listen to this, that there is a video version up on our YouTube page. You can also go watch the full version of it with our faces and our hands and our yeah my you can see my new glasses. Yeah, you can you see Lizzie's new glasses if you go to our YouTube page. <laughs> Uh, we'll be back uh, next week with another podcast episode. Yeah. He said confidently because it will happen. 
Uh, it will happen. Brian will just not be here to record yeah. it, but it'll show up. Don't worry. Uh, from the email social club. It's fair. It's fine. Timing is fine. It's fine. It's okay. They know we're Brian and Lizzie. Yeah. They? they should by now. This comes out after everything we have to do this weekend. Yeah, I was about we, to say we can't even say anything.